Let us be attentive. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Wisdom. The reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are all ill-clad and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become and are now, as refuse of the world, the offscouring of all things. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be with you who proclaim the epistle. Wisdom arise, let us hear the holy gospel. Peace be with you all. <clears throat> the reading is from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Let us be attentive. At that time, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move hence to yonder place, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Peace be with you who proclaim the good news. Recently, I visited someone, uh, a, a good, dear, old friend, who I hadn't seen for a long, long time. Without my knowledge, the previous week had been very difficult for him. He'd been struggling, and I had no idea. Only after a deep conversation that lasted about two hours did I learn how much my presence had meant to him. It was a surprise to me. Without realizing it, he articulated that I had become a resource of Christ's power to console him in his affliction. The key, though, is this. He was suffering from his conscious and deliberate effort for years to follow the Lord. Today's the final day of the great feast of transfiguration. We encounter again the once for all event that happened on Mount Tabor about 2,000 years ago. Jesus was in conversation with Moses and Elijah. Three of his apostles were present and they overwhelmed by the brilliant glory. If in fact, as a verse from today says, in your light we shall see light. It remains very true, powerfully true. We don't see things and people as they really are. We see things and people as we are. Jesus doesn't come to give us better eyesight. He comes to give us better vision through the only two eyeballs that we're blessed with and the only one heart we've received. But there is a powerful relationship in this great feast that we can easily overlook. Glory is not manifest in Jesus's ministry because he's some brilliant intellect 
or because he knows the right people and knows how to get things done, or because he's very clever in business and commerce so he can accumulate wealth, or for any other reason than he's willing to be totally obedient to God the Father. Consider the one person who didn't have to worry about obedience was obedient, not just when it felt good. There were times in Jesus' ministry it felt great, having a dinner with his good friends, being with the disciples when they finally got what he was teaching. No, it came when things felt terribly because the glory of the transfiguration is completely connected to the passion and the scandal and the suffering of the cross. That may be why Jesus told the three of them, don't breathe a word about this, knowing that no one would understand it until after the Son of Man is crucified and risen from the dead. By the way, it was only after that and after Pentecost, the apostles themselves began to see things as they really were, not as they thought they were, even with him for three years in his ministry. This is brought out in a few ways, this connection between not suffering in general, but suffering for the sake of Christ, the gospel, and the revolutionary movement and glory. First, the epistle for today. Why is it? The church picked 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which regales us with all the ways the apostles weren't received well, but suffered time and time again for bearing witness to the good news. It's a litany. And it's a litany that's rather humbling for us clergy because I learned long ago, oh boy, I'll probably never suffer much compared to what Peter and Paul and the rest did. Glory is connected with deepening discipleship. It's not accidental, it's deliberate on God's part. Second, I bring before you a weekday epistle, reading through this week, the week of the celebration of transfiguration from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Please listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all consolation, who consoles us in our affliction so that we can console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we've been consoled. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we're being afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation. 
Paul's talking to his flock in Corinth, and they were a rambunctious bunch. If we're being consoled, it's for your consolation, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we're also suffering. The word for consolation there is the same as the word for the service we've been praying in these first two weeks, paraklesis. That's no accident. That's deliberate. The one who creates, the one who sustains all life, whether people believe or not, the one who redeems and saves and heals and rescues, and the one who brings justice, the one who perfects is the same one, especially through Jesus, who knows not just our joys, but our sorrows, and above all is suffered in order to bring us the consolation that can only come from the cross, not as we're gazing to have our own transfiguration in glory without it. And finally, note the connection in the gospel reading today. What's the first thing that Jesus does after the transfiguration? Back down to earth, there he goes, after this glorious manifestation where only in the light of God we truly see what's real, what people really are, what circumstances really are like, what the worlds really are like, it comes down to the reality of a severely disturbed young boy with a problem in it. The problem is, well, the apostles, they may have been close to Jesus, weren't able to help the poor kid. The father was disturbed, came to Jesus, said, help us out, help, help. And Jesus does so, but only after he makes the point that his own followers, later quietly, they weren't able to do it because they didn't have the right trust in the power of God to heal. Put two fingers together right now. Hold them up, about an inch apart. One inch apart, hold those two fingers, one inch apart. Do you know how many mustard seeds I could fit between your two fingers? 20 to 30 mustard seeds. Is Jesus demanding that we have great faith like a watermelon? No. It's amazing how even small faith can release the glory of God that comes through suffering for the sake of the Christian revolution and movement. This week, I invite you, as I'll be doing, consider how Christ is only too ready to console us, not just through the inconveniences of life, and that's what a lot of us mostly deal with. I know a presbytera who once went to confession at Manaf, 
when an elder from Monophos came off the holy mountain and she was pouring her heart out about her problems in Thessalonica, and the elder said to her, my dear, you don't have problems, just a lot of inconveniences. She learned a great lesson from that. But consider, consider this week, Christ is ready to console us when we're passionately seeking him. After all, in the midst of the transfiguration, the Father's voice says, this is my beloved son. Don't admire him, listen to him. Don't put him up on a pedestal. Keep him right in front of your eyes, right in your heart. Because when we're willing to embrace true, true suffering that comes from truth-telling, sharing love indiscriminately, seeking justice, extending mercy, and embracing holiness, we will experience the paraklesis of the services of the first two weeks of the August fast, and we'll become agents of that paraklesis, that consolation, that grace to others. Perhaps even like what happened to me recently, without, without us ever having any idea at all.